Shalom and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm Miriam Ansifin, and I'm joined on this episode by my very favorite people to discuss pop culture events with, Dan Seligson, Ashley Jacobs, and Jesse Ulrich. Hi, Miriam. Hello. Salam and so bakir. Thank you, Dan. On this podcast, we've talked so many times about the sheer number of popular TV shows coming out of Israel right now. We've talked about Fauda. We've talked about Shtisel, When Heroes Fly, The Spy. We've talked about this all these shows on the podcast. So this week, we watched uh, the newest entry into this phenomenon. Um, we watched the first three episodes of the new Apple Plus TV show, Tehran, a thriller about Tamar, a young female Persian Jewish Muslim agent undercover in Iran. The show carries some of that Fauda buzz as show creator Moshe Zander was a writer on Fauda. And right now, as we're recording this, Tehran has a 92% fresh critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But I'd like to think we here at The Vibe of the Tribe are the real arbiters of if something is good or not. And with that, I'd like to open the discussion by hearing everyone's first opinions on Tehran. Dan, my other brain, I know you have strong feelings on this show. Let me hear them. I'm not a 92%. I have to say that three episodes in, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to know why I'm watching this and why I should be hooked by this. So far, it's a standard police espionage thriller. Pacing's a little slow. Um, Got a lot of surveillance footage, a few foot chases, some near misses as our hero, as we know, is going to escape the clutches of the evil. Iranian Revolutionary Guard. Otherwise, you know, this for me, I'm seated advertised between between quarters and football games. I'm thinking, okay, this is Apple Plus's big launch show. This is this 4K thing. And so far, this is a B minus thriller, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Ashley, what did you think? I wouldn't even call this a thriller. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I mean, look, it was, I can see why it would be considered a thriller. I mean, it's like Murphy's Law in TV form. Everything that can go wrong for our protagonist does go wrong. But it's just, for me, it's eh, it's just a snooze fest. There's like lazy fight choreography. I, growing up, Alias was my favorite TV show. Still one of my favorites. Like, where is Sydney Bristow with the 360 degree kicks? I I entirely agree with that note. Jesse. My esteemed fellow nerd, let's hear from you. My thoughts sort of align with everyone else so far, which is that it's intense, but for no reason, (laughs) at least until halfway through the second episode, I still had no idea why the two women switch places because the, the dialogue did not make it clear what was happening and why this mission was important and what the details of that mission was. The show is gorgeous looking, though. It looks fantastic. I don't I don't know where they filmed it. I oh, you're going to find probably, out. Um, OK, good. I was like, I wonder how close that is. Show looked great. Apple spent a lot of money on it. You can tell. Still don't know why I should care. <laughs> yes, I I kind of thought along the lines of all of you, I kind of expected I would be in for something more along the lines of Alias like you, you like you thought, Ashley. But I was quite wrong, at least so far. And I really should have guessed there would be no fantastical wig changes uh, in a show set in a country where women have to cover their hair. (laughs) 
Like, yes, duh, it's not going to be quite the same, Miriam. So there's no bright red Sydney Bristow wigs on the horizon, I don't really expect. I did enjoy that it was filmed in Farsi, Hebrew, and English. I did really like that so many Iranian or Persian actors and Persian Jewish uh, actors were on the show. So Sean Taub, the man who plays the main villain, was born in Tehran to a Persian Jewish family. Shervin Alanabi, the cute hacker, uh, he's also Iranian. Naveed Negaban, who played Abu Nazir in Homeland, and Amal Farouk, the Shadow King in Legion, plays Tamar's handler. I, I did love the diversity of the casting as appropriate to the area that they were filming. Um, although, spoiler alert, it was filmed in Athens. Interesting. You know, I stole All right. that from Dan, but it was filmed in Athens. So as a viewer, the first three episodes did not make me feel anything particularly strongly for any of the characters. For me, the only character I cared about was one female student who stood on a car during a protest in episode three and took off her scarf for two seconds. She is the hero of this series. As far as I'm concerned, make it about her. Can can I ask, as our listeners may or may not know, I am also the editor of this podcast. So We thank I you have... every episode. Thank God for yeah. Jesse. You are welcome. <laughs> I so I've listened to all of the podcasts about the other shows, but I have not watched the other shows. Mm -hmm. So my question is, normally, do I have to, like, pretend I don't know how certain things work in these shows? Be more specific. What are the certain? Okay, so for our listeners, in episode one, the show sort of starts with these two panicked Israelis who are flying from Jordan to New Delhi. A plane has a problem, has to land in, ta-da, Tehran. They're stressed out. They get questioned. They're eventually let go, which is what you knew was going to happen from the beginning. Did but you know that? Because I, I thought they I were going to die. I didn't listen. Know like, like sort of Chekhov's camera switches. Right? They kept moving to that other couple. I'm like that. That's the actual couple. Like that's that's who we're actually going to be following. This is just like a way of getting you into the show and making you feel stressed for no reason. Yes. Because I'm like, hey, remember flying? Oh yeah, flying's terrifying. <laughs> I I know a couple of Israelis. None of them, none of them would ever run into someone in the airport in Tehran and say out loud that they know who they are. I mean, come on. I'm sorry. Yes. From that moment on, I could not trust this show to tell me a real spy story. Yes, that was dumb. No, no, no Israeli who they all have to serve in the military. Right. Whatever. Yeah, or do even something admit that, stupid. that the person they thought that they saw was part of one of the intelligence units in the IDF. No, 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 no. That would that would not be a thing. This is a plot. <laughs> this is how to get your plot across well, without just, like actually doing something smart. I, I just have to say, so th- this show also has ties to Homeland, and I'm not exactly sure. Is it the same a Homeland writer or something? So Homeland, every season before it started, would have a meeting with CIA people to talk about what they were going to show in the show this season. And they would be like, is this accurate? Is this whatever? I am convinced that the kind of people who work for intelligence agencies who talk to people who make TV thrillers are just in it because they think it's cool to hang around the actors and be on the set. So, like, this show is made by Israelis with Israelis who they can consult with, who are in the military, have been in the military. Probably they'll run into some man or woman from Mossad. Obviously, someone knows that that is such a ridiculous bullshit thing to happen in a in a Tehran bathroom. And yet it still made the show. I think it was to show, like Jesse said, to get us hooked and figure out what's going on. But I also feel like it 
set us up to better understand the actual couple that we were supposed to be paying attention to on the plane, you know, because they're they're watching, they're keeping an eye out, they're communicating. And then back at Mossad headquarters, they get word that last minute this Israeli couple booked a flight. So now they have something else to worry about. But the the undercover Mossad people don't even pay attention to them, really. Like it they doesn't can. it would blow the mission. It doesn't and it nearly does. Yeah. It doesn't lead to anything. It's just a distraction. I do wonder if that part was integrated into the script for uh, an audience outside of Israel. Obviously, everybody in Israel would know that if you go to Iran accidentally, it's not going to end well. But perhaps for us Americans, you know, the show premiered in Israel already. It's just launching here for us. Maybe they were like, you know, I think Americans are really stupid and they're not going to understand the predicament that these characters are facing. So let's spell it <laughs> We understand out. spy stories, though. Totally We've seen that. spy we stories. I would just like to note we have seen spy stories. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just wanted to add that, you know, Iran and Israel have been in a state of war for since 1980, basically. And there are spies from either country in, their, in, in the other country. They generally don't come in with their country's passport. So I think you could probably rule them out for spycraft because they're yes. holding their freaking passport. I know, Jesse, you just said that you hadn't seen the same spy thrillers out of Israel that we had. But for those of us, Ashley and Dan, who have seen them and discussed them previously on the pod, what did you feel was the same or different about Tehran? Ashley, what did you think? I know what excited our team the most about the show Tehran is that it was about a female protagonist. Because we've talked before in our episode about Fauda, about how, you know, the female characters are very small. So I thought it was interesting that this one kicked off with a female protagonist. However... <laughs> Of course, it's in the first five to 10 minutes, two women are taking their clothes off in the same bathroom stall. It went on for way too long. There were close-ups of the tights and the legs and the bras, and it was just ridiculous. Something that I did think worked in the female protagonist's favor is that when she's being detained at the office, she needed to escape. So there was this very clever moment of her figuring out that she needed to go to the bathroom, but she found like the best excuse ever because she needed to change her dot, dot, dot. Because if anything makes a lot of men uncomfortable, it's periods. One 100% thing that works across the, across the globe is if you need to go to the bathroom as a woman, just tell the guy it's lady stuff. It's he lady let you stuff. Go. Don't ask lady me more. Stuff. Sorry, lady business. It's lady business. <laughs> so, Dan, what did you think was different between this and, say, Fauda? Well, I think I've watched Fauda and every other Israeli mm, yeah, thriller yeah. That we've talked about, right? Israeli thriller that we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bigger. It's bigger. There are bigger sets, bigger city, bigger cars, nicer cars. You got um, Mercedes as opposed to the Car usual cars with logos. Cars um, with stupid logos. With, I, I think the, the monitors are bigger and the headphones might be fancier. To me, it kind of on macro scope, it, it was a lot more like Homeland. I keep coming back to the show because it very much reminds me of Homeland, much more like Homeland than Fauda, which is to say the story and moving a story along is more important than any other thing, including detail, including acting, including character development. It, that's all that matters here, at least so far. So to me, Israeli thrillers are much more intimate because they have to be. They don't have as much money. They don't have elaborate sets that, you know, this is a, a small country with a small audience. They're working with less. 
So they take what they have and they're more resourceful and they usually come up with, I'm going to say it, a better product than this. I, as, as Ashley mentioned, we were very excited when we first heard about this because it did have a female protagonist. I was very interested to, to kind of see the take on having a female Mossad agent. Sometimes I look, I love Fauda, but sometimes the extreme macho-ness of that show does make me laugh in a way I think that they don't intend for me to do. It gets a little in, inadvertently hilarious. So I did, while I, you know, I wasn't totally, enthr- I wasn't enthralled with her as a character. There were some plot points that uh, I thought were done well. Tamar is there to swap places with a real Iranian woman named Gila. And so she's she swapped places with her in that bathroom stall where she changes all her clothes and becomes Gila. But it turns for six out minutes. for six minutes, right? But it turns out that Tamar, when she's embodying Gila, Gila is the victim of some horrendous sexual uh, harassment and abuse from her boss. So, you know, in Mission Impossible, when Tom Cruise puts on a new face that he just scanned off somebody else and impersonates this person, he's never concerned, oh, God, I'll have to deal with the men who are harassing the person I'm impersonating. But this seemed like, okay, maybe that's a more realistic take on what it is to be a female spy impersonating another woman, because then you have to deal with whatever horrendous men are in her life. In addition to you being undercover, now yeah. you have to deal with the trash men and um, the person you're impersonating's real life. That was interesting. But again, it's one of those things where I'm like, there's no way she would get to be involved in a Mossad operation without them knowing ah. that. Like, they obviously have a connection. But I think right? I think you're wrong here. I think they actually made a good a good point. And they said, why? Why didn't we know about this? They actually say that. And I think it's because perhaps the people who were following or understanding her her situation were men and therefore not clued in mm. to the harassment she was facing. So that's my I will, theory. I, I will grant you that. I will, I will yes, say, though, that the vetting of Gila was really just shitty in general because, it was yeah, poor. because it turns out that she just wanted to leave the country and wouldn't have been able to get the codes until they landed in India. So, like, there's no way there's no way that information would would not have been known yes, already. They would have asked that exactly. question. So back again, sloppy, 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 sloppy spy work. Move the story forward like, consi- at any cost. Yeah, considering how s- slow some parts of the plots were, some parts of it were also incredibly, like, way too fast. Yeah. Like, the the secretive, young, but attractive woman Mossad agent, right, is able to figure out where Tamar goes way too quickly. That should have been episodes. I, I could see them plotting this. I mean, I could see them plotting the story and saying, oh, we got to backfill a reason why this thing could actually occur. There's a lot of backfilling, I think, in the story here, which is why, you know, you, you're like, you can't say, okay, there's a plot hole there. You can just say, that's a dumb thing that wouldn't really happen. That's a backfill. Again, it looked gorgeous, though. That's true. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I'll, 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 keep, I'll keep watching the show now just because, man, it looks, it looks great. So I don't know about all of you, but I definitely noticed some spy movie slash Mossad TV show cliches all Mm. over this one. Like, as we all know, it is vital that if someone is hacking at a computer terminal and you have to tell them to do it faster, 
And somehow that makes them work faster, as if somehow she wasn't typing as fast as she could. No, she's not hanging around there just to spell. Oh, let me just stay in this really risky situation by saying go faster. It goes faster. And if you're in the control room back at Mossad headquarters, it is vital that you need to rip off your headset. First of all, either you're holding it partially to your head and then put it down. And which never fast, works. Which never works. <laughs> right. But they have really nice headphones them off. now. They're going to ruin them. Because if you them. don't, how will the audience know that your agent has just gone AWOL? Yeah. So that's also, what well, I yeah. why, why do you Why do you also only talk in code for like the first minute and then just talk regular? Right. Why would like, they use real names on the phone? What? Uh, mm. Yes. Damn it. Yeah. Kilo's gone AWOL. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, did you notice any of these? Oh my God, so many. I am a huge fan of this question. There, there are so many. So first of all, we were talking earlier about the, the similarities between this show and Homeland and also Alias and Disguises and everything. There's this really fantastic YouTube video with a woman who used to be in charge or like who used to work at the CIA dealing with disguises. And she had, so it's this video. And she's talking about different moments in pop culture, like spy movies and TV shows, where they actually get it right and where they get it wrong. Everything in there about Alias was correct, but everything in there about Homeland was wrong. And Wow. Yes. And in this show, the first three episodes, there's a mix of both, right? So there's the, the cliche of just throwing on a different color hajib, which, you know, doesn't do much other than the fact that if you're looking for a certain color headscarf, you won't find it. I thought it was very clever, though, that she put on a bandage like she just had a nose job. So I thought that was really interesting. But in terms of other spy movie cliches, not only do we have a villain, but he has an admiring wife who clearly loves him, who clearly cares about him, but he ignores her. She goes to Paris all alone to have an operation because apparently she's sick. She goes off all alone so he can, like, do villain things. And then the outcome of her surgery isn't even shared, even though several days have passed. But he's supposed to be, like, great point. super concerned. It was just a really poor attempt to draw up empathy from the viewers. I have zero empathy for him anyway, but I just saw that and I was like, oh, my God, such... A cliche. Why didn't he sleep at home? Yeah. Why did he sleep in his office? He didn't have to sleep at his I, office. That just shows how dedicated he is. Yeah. He works really hard. That shows really he's hardworking, hard. Jesse. Exactly. He he's hardworking. He's tireless. He puts the wrong before his family, even his beloved sick wife. Mm-hmm. The show makes it very clear. Everyone has a cell phone. He can be reached at any time from anywhere. He could have gone home. But anyway. he chose not to. And again, like... There are just so many examples in this show of a blatant disregard for orders... Oh, yeah. Blatant disregard for orders. And like, I mean, they do that in Fauda all the time, all the time. But the way that that was taken here in this show was just awful. Like it was unrealistic because the way that they train you in the military is to follow orders or else people will die. And if you need to and like not question orders and if you want to like push back against those orders, then there has to be a very compelling reason for doing so. I mean, we, we saw that in Fauda all the time, but yet here it was just like, again, to move the plot forward, I'm not going to listen to you and there's nothing you can do about it. What's funny, that, that, that's a cliche from other kinds of films. That, that is a cop show film cliche, which is like, 
you know, person has to hand in their gun and their badge mm-hmm. and then they go do the thing yes, anyway. Exactly. There is a, a difference, though, when we see, I think because one is a female character and let's take Daron, for example, from Fauda, he's always not doing what he's told to do. But we, the audience, know it's because he actually knows better than his bosses. Mm-hmm. So we see him as a maverick who's going to get the job done. With this character, with Tamar, it's more like she's young. She's impressionable. She's going to maybe switch sides. It's, it's, she's inexperienced and she doesn't know what she's doing. As opposed to when a man does it, it's because they know better than the bosses. Am I the only one that agreed with her decision not to go with a travel agency no, guy? Rolled up I was like, yeah, I don't trust him. In a, in a car with a logo. Yes. What? What? what Why? What? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you've survived that long, you know to have an unmarked car. You'd think. They know there's cameras everywhere. The second they show me that logo, I'm like, this is not going to end well. They're showing us that logo for a reason. Chekhov's logo. I have a flimsy defense. Having watched The Spy, sometimes when Israel places a spy, they like to go big. They could have a spy in a very place in society. They're well known. They host parties for tons of important people. And that, that might be part of the spy craft. And in this case... This guy is a well-known travel agency who drives in a fancy car with his logo on it. And that's maybe his way I of think at night undercover. In multiple locations. A very Not nice subtle. way to look at it, but no. <laughs> I'm, this, that's my also, final defense of the, the show. I think the last comment so you know. I would like to make on his ineptitude is that immediately after Tamar has to kill Gila's boss because he's trying to rape her, right? She And a terrible fight scene, like. There's barely a fight scene at all. Why am I watching this? They hide. She and her handler hide him in the trash. And literally two minutes later, the trash people arrive to take out the garbage and discover the body. (laughs) Did anyone else notice that he used a small piece of cardboard to cover up the blood stain from where the actual murder happened? I'm like, that's going to do it. Yeah, totally inconspicuous. No one's going to wonder what's under that. Like, come on. His his codename was the Eagle. He should be fired. The Eagle should be fired. The Eagle cannot land. Yeah, the Eagle's an idiot. the fact that his codename corresponded to the logo that's on his car. Good God. Okay, in his defense, I did not know that we had the ability or that uh, Iran had the ability to just automatically search travel agency logos. Like, that's in the Iranian Google. You can just type in. Show me all logos, and it will show you all travel agency logos. It's amazing. It's very well, fancy. It's, technology. it's because they know how yeah. to code metadata for images, Jesse. Yeah, okay, good. good the simple good. local um, business knows how to do that, and it's requirement for every single <laughs> Yeah, no seriously. Um, also, did you notice every time she was hacking, she, you know, did this with her fingers? Oh, did she? That's you? how you know I, I that hacking is that. about to go oh, down. Oh, I didn't notice that at all. Listen, as, as someone, as quasi-computer nerd myself, I was actually, as far as computer usage in a spy show goes, this one didn't didn't commit some of the multiple cardinal sins, which is that when she was typing, it looked I'm like in. she was actually mm-hmm. typing. Type, type, type. I'm in. I did have a problem in the power plant when she just plugs something into her laptop and something obvious. Like, an Iranian power plant's not going to have plug and play capability. There was another plot hole that confused me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. When we first see Gila, she's dressed as a flight attendant. All of a sudden, she works at a power plant. So is the flight attendant thing just a disguise to get them to switch? Or does she... Who was the flight attendant? Where did they get the credentials from? Exactly. I mean, obviously, it can be manufactured, but like that was just a significant plot hole to me. I was very confused. Good point. So let's 
talk a little bit about the way Iran and Iranians were actually portrayed in this series. Uh, Dan, what did you think? So I'm going back to Homeland last time today. We are introduced to Tehran with a scene, well, after the airport, as soon as we get into Tehran, the city itself, we see a man who apparently was convicted of a corporate crime, some kind of a commercial crime or something, hanging from a crane in a very public area. Traffic is stopped and people are there to look. From there, I'm thinking, okay, Tehran is going to be like the Gaza city of Fauda season three. No such thing. Tehran is, I think, accurately portrayed as a modern, fairly well-off city with a you know, young, vibrant population. The only way that we're reminded of kind of the, the menace for the characters in this, in this show is that there are big banners at the Ayatollah, street signs are in a different language, and there's no way of telling that we are, in fact, in <laughs> Athens, except you never see any kind of a big wide shot. You do see these establishing shots from, you know, maybe 1985, where it's flying over some road, some highway in Tehran that they... They plug into the show for establishing shots, but it's you're not really buying it. You, you can tell, kind of like Transparent, the horrific Israel season, that they are not where they say they are. I don't know. People yeah. saw Transparent season three. Supposedly, the whole the whole gang goes to Israel. The whole thing was filmed at a back lot in Los Angeles. It looks horrible. You can so tell that they just do this really tight shot on someone who's supposedly in the Dead Sea, and they're like in a swimming pool <laughs> in, in Hollywood. Just lame. So I wanted more out of Tehran. I wanted Iranians, but only we're a third of the way through the show, but I wanted Iranians to be a little less one-dimensional. They each have their place and their role in the show, but we don't see anything extra. You do get a little bit of that idea that Iran is torn. Modern Iran had a revolution in 79. The Islamic State is built on revolution. Once revolutions become institutionalized, they kind of have a harder time staying urgent, especially to young people who might be unemployed, who might be dissatisfied, who might not be as religious as their parents and grandparents. And you see a little bit of that tension rising between Tehran's population and Iran's population, which is very, very young, mostly under 30. And this idea that you have to conform to a very rigid fundamentalist Islamic ideology. Ashley, what, what did you think? I learned a lot from what Dan just said. I honestly don't have the knowledge to be able to comment on this. What I will say, though, is that it did remind me of Argo with the, the crane and the signs and everything. So, I mean, that's the extent of my knowledge. But again, that's just fiction. Based on a true I wonder if that's like the Tehran or the Iran trope for Western audiences. Unless there's someone hanging off a crane in a public square, you don't think you're in Tehran. Right. Yeah. Just you can't tell it's Tehran unless someone is being hanged. That seems like a pretty reductive way to show that, but whatever. I'm also interested to see if we meet further Jews uh, living in Iran in the future episodes. And I also hope to see some more of the Israeli-Iranian community outside of the control room, because the history of Jews who lived in Persia is amazing. Jews have lived there continuously for thousands of years since, I think, 727 
BCE, since the Babylonian exile, when we were all schlepped out of the land of Israel and uh, enslaved over there. It's where the story of Purim takes place. Esther and Mordechai's tombs are there. The books of Isaiah, Daniel, and Ezra all reference uh, Persian Jewish exile. So I think at one point we should definitely talk about that on this podcast uh, because it has an incredibly just glorious and important cultural religious story behind the history of Persian Jews on a different episode because it does deserve that larger conversation. And I'm just interested to see how they explore that on on the show. That that was actually, I thought, the most interesting part. I mean, I don't think the show handled it as well as they could, but the fact that there would be familial connections between Israelis and modern day Iranians, because there there is. There were a lot of Jews who lived there. Yeah. A lot of Jews who had to leave, but they all had to leave in, you know, between, I guess the the show doesn't make it clear. They make it sound like revolution happens and then Jews were still allowed to live there for a couple of years, then were kicked out. So I I wasn't sure. I don't think the timeline worked that sparsely. I feel like. Between 1979, 1980, most Jews probably left. Yeah, so a huge, uh, a huge number of Iranian Jews had already migrated to the area of the Ottoman Empire that would later become Israel in the early part of the 1900s because of religious persecution and the fact that Iranian Jews were second-class citizens um, in Iran and Persia. And they, throughout history, there were ups and downs, let's just say, for the Iranian Jewish population. But at that time, it was real bad. They had blood libels, the whole shebang. So thousands and thousands of Iranian Jews moved before the founding of the state of Israel. And then, of course, in 79, they were just like, oh, God, we got to go. And, and most of them moved to Israel or America and, and I think communities in Europe as well. But it was not a fun time, let's just say, to be a Jew in Iran. And, and to this day, there are there is a Jewish Iranian community. However, they can't ever express anything relating to Israel or any relating to America in fear that they would be labeled Zionist and then executed. So you'll hear the government of Iran say, no, we, we, we don't have a problem with Jews. We protect our Jewish community. It's only those Zionists that we hate. However, I would just like to point out that earlier this year, I believe the Iranian government threatened to destroy Esther's tomb in retaliation for the embassy getting moved to Jerusalem. So I would just like to say... I don't think that adds up. What other takeaways did you get out of these first three episodes? What did you think about the character development? I think I know what we all feel, but let's dive in. Dan. What character development? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it's, it's they're real single purpose characters. I'm hoping if I decide to continue with the show after the three that I watch for the purposes of today's podcast, I want to know who they are. I'd love some more nuance and I'd like them to be more compelling humans. I want to know who I'm supposed to root for and connect with. And I don't just want to watch them getting chased and throwing punches and being hit with um, balsa wood batons. Mm, Good point. (laughs) Ashley. Yes. Someone who I think we've alluded to but haven't directly spoken about yet is the character of Sick Boy, and it should really be Sick Boy with an I and not a Y, who is Tamar, a.k.a. Shakira's hacking buddy, (laughs) who is just really thirsty and wants to go on a date with her and just wants to, like, bang her and all this stuff. He was – he's a character who I'm curious to see – what what his storyline becomes because I feel like there is 
potentially an opportunity for his character to display more of a, a rounder purpose purpose and sense of self. Like we meet him at a protest where he wanted Tamara to meet him and he's part of this commune. Something though that I did find really interesting is that there was a shot when they're walking through this community house of two men making out. And see, and it was it wasn't like an in your face kind of moment. It was just part of the background as part of the the culture and that really showed to me like a huge difference between what the political climate and like cultural climate is in Iran versus Israel. You know, Israel has the biggest pride parade in the world or something like that. And here in, in the Middle East. Yeah, in yes. the Middle East. And then here or in Asia, actually. And then here in Iran, there are just two men making out. So I thought that was just a really interesting contrast um, to show that Tamar is entering into another side of the country that is fighting for change and fighting for more freedoms. Another thing that I took away from this is that people pay attention to left and right-handedness, just like I do. <laughs> I thought of you when we saw that. Thank but you. Yeah. Dan and I are left-handed, and anyone who knows me knows that I'm a little obnoxious and very proud about being a lefty. And when Gila and Tamar switch places in the bathroom and they come out, what gives them away to Faraz is the fact that one of them walks in rolling the suitcase with one hand and the other walks out rolling the suitcase with the opposite hand. So that's no one's ever switched hands. I know. But that was just really interesting to me. That's a terrible, terrible point, though, because you would use your dominant hand to open the door. And your right hand, if you're a lefty, to roll the back. So what the guy said was exactly the opposite of what the reality would have been. Also, Spycraft 101, you find out if the person's right or left-handed. I mean, come on. Exactly. Okay, may I? I I need to talk about the hacker for a little bit. Because that whole sequence was 100% unnecessary. And all it did was confuse character development. Because if he's such a great hacker, why did he need her? to disable the security cameras in a country she does not live in. Like if she can do that, why does she need him at all? Thank you. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Oh, and a spy would, a spy would know to never ever when you're trying to escape a country, go to a political protest and the show tried to make it like she tried to fight it off for a little bit, but he was too insistent. No, she could just turn around and walk away. Yes. Yeah. Can I say some, I, I just, I'm obsessed with the protest. I did, I did enjoy the protest. It, it was presented as like, hey, there's a kegger down on whatever street. And, you know, they all start running over like it's going to be a grand old time. And, you know, you see someone making a sign that say, I love my hijab. So there's going to be two different factions involved. But protesting in Iran is not yeah. something that is taken lightly. People die in Iran when they protest. It just happened in 2019. A, b- a group of protesters were chased off and they went into this marsh to try and hide. They shot them all. They killed them all. And it was just horrific. And the way that this show makes it so lighthearted with this almost comical, like Marx Brothers fight with the police where the guys are are using batons and they try to show it like it's in slow motion, but it isn't. And you just see them tapping them, tapping them so ever so gently on the arm with these batons. And like one person ends up with a with a black eye because accidentally the cop hit her. I'm just like, what the hell? This is not what an Iranian protest is going to be looking like when it's supposedly 
Tehran that everyone has heard about this 19-person protest in, at the university in Tehran. It isn't even what an American protest looks like. We know, like we're recording this in a time when police violence is so evident in our own country that we've seen way more horrific stuff than was included in that onesie in, in the student protest. Jesse, did, did you have anything more to say about the characters? Again, like the show keeps teasing me with interesting character development, like changes and then messes it up. I enjoyed the time with the aunt. Like I thought that would be explored a little more. Maybe we'd get more of her story, but just like the cliche of her having like a radical daughter. I was just like, okay, like we don't have time for this. They just did that. So she could also be at the protest. So then she could also get her kicked out of the house, even though she was going to leave the house anyway. Mm. Characters motivations in the show even for a spy show where you normally know who you're rooting for, who's good, who's bad, it's still all a little gray and not in the good way. It's just sort of bland. And I wasn't expecting that from something so well-produced and advertised as the first thing you see when you open up the Apple TV <laughs> Plus app. It's weird that even by the end of episode three, there are main characters who I'm following who I don't know enough about to know if I should trust why they're responding in the way they're responding. Mm. And that's a failure of a show. So for me, if I had judged, let's say, Game of Thrones by the first three episodes, Jamie Lannister would never have ended up being one of my favorite characters. And I think my biggest disappointment in this show is the lack, the total lack of humor. You need that to offset and alleviate the tension that you're trying to build, despite real events in Iran not being funny at all. Um, but you need something to switch up the vibe occasionally. So what I am saying is that the show needs to introduce a Jamie Lannister. That's my recommendation. All right. So what are our predictions for the rest of the season, having only seen three episodes? Ashley. Shakira and Sick Boy are going to bone. And episode mm -hmm. four will kick off. So episode three ended with a little bit of a cliffhanger. And I'll admit I was disappointed that it did not show the fight. But props, Apple TV, you did get me a little hooked to at least tune into the beginning of episode four, where I predict Tamar will be fighting everyone, like the two or three men who surrounded her, except for her, like, radical-ish cousin, Razia, with whom Tamar will lock eyes before she runs off. <laughs> that sounds like exactly what's going to happen. Dan. The camera will pan across the floor and we'll find, you know, two characters, probably Tamar and, and Sick Boy having a complicated emotional sex scene. And probably it'll be somewhat explicit justifying an Apple Plus subscription. Because honestly, the content in the show, it's pretty thin so far, and I'm not sure that people are going to stick around. It's not one of those shows where, you know, that thing at the bottom says next episode with the thing where you're like, oh my God, I quickly have to go pee before the next one starts because I can't wait. <laughs> no, I can wait. In fact, I don't know if I'm going to go to episode four. I think also, you know, tomorrow we'll get deeper into the youth slash uh, protest movement, which will seriously undermine mission. And I think that riots in the streets will grow exponentially from nine to 10 people to close to 30. <laughs> Jesse. I mean, for a show that literally ends one episode and starts the next one at the, the, the moment right after with no last time on Tehran or anything, I'm like, you didn't need to start right here. Like you could have jumped 15 minutes ahead. They're trying to build suspense where there isn't any, you know, for a fact, she's going to kick the crap out of those guys. And that showdown at the end of episode three, it's going to happen. And I'm excited to see it because I'm 
Hopefully they have improved their fighting choreography between <laughs> episode one and yes. episode four. If it wasn't for the musical cues, right, I wouldn't have felt any sort of level of tenseness. I would have felt sort of hilarity because she's going to kick the living crap out of these because these are like religious nuts. They're not trained in fighting. I'm hoping for a couple of crotch shots, just like, you know, ball punches. <laughs> Those are always entertaining. So if I have time, I'll finish it. But for a show that looked so looks so good, it's really... Mm-hmm. The show really commits a lot of sins that takes me out of the moment and makes me think about the world itself, which is in a suspense spy thing. You're supposed to want to stay in that world and feel the tension (laughs) of that world. And I'm always just like, I don't think that's true. And that's not what you want from a show like this. So my prediction, this this seems to be a story about identity, even though they haven't really dived into that quite yet. uh, Conflicted feelings between the Persian, Iranian and Uh, Jewish Israeli identities. So my prediction is that Tamar feels more and more connected to Iran and less connected to Israel as the series progresses. Of course, she's going to fall in love with Sick Boy with a name like Sick Boy. What did you expect? So I I know it's predictable. But on the other hand, I did want to mention that when reading about this show, I have seen that the response among Israelis of Iranian descent has been pretty positive because this show already premiered in Israel. So while we may not enjoy it, I'm glad somebody is. I will say Tehran, the show, bang an intro. Great intro. Yes. I, like, I only skipped over it once just because I was trying to get this done faster, but like really good intro. I'm glad intros are back oh, now. Yeah. Intros are back and, in uh, a big way. Take their time. Yes, so I agree with that, Jesse. Well, thank you to Dan, Ashley, and Jesse for talking to Ron with me today. It's the name of my new morning show, Talking to Ron. <laughs> Best three hours of my life. Wait, how the show I'm um, talking about? The most exciting thing for me while watching the show was when I spilled chocolate all over my bed. <laughs> watching, and it. if that's not a damning review, one I star don't review. Know what yeah. is. Wow. Okay, thank you all for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate and review the vibe of the tribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay safe, wear a mask, not only for COVID reasons, but also so nobody can identify you when you are doing covert espionage on behalf of the Mossad. Unless you switch hands. Unless you switch hands. (laughs)